Well, good morning everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30 and of course you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up I have to welcome back to Australia and to the 3CR Gardening Show, Stephen Ryan. Morning Stephen. Good morning Pam and uh, yes, it's lovely to be home and back in sort of... uh, a somewhat normal routine again. Yes. I mean, travelling is, is fun, but at the end of the day, getting home is probably one of the highlights of any trip away, I think. And, uh, yeah, it's nice to be home, getting back, settling back into getting my garden in, in good order, because we've got quite a lot of things happening in the garden over the next few weeks. Uh, and, uh, yeah, getting back to work to see what's happened at the nursery while I've been away, or hasn't happened. Mm. <laughs> All that sort of stuff. Mm. So it's nice to be home, and you do appreciate your own house when you've been away. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yes, your own bathroom, your own bed, your own everything. <laughs> it's just lovely. So, But it was a good trip away. We, we had an interesting time. As, as listeners are probably aware, we went specifically because my partner Craig had a, a painting accepted in the Hunt Institute of Botanical Documentation at the Carnegie Mellon... University in Pittsburgh, uh, or rather a big mouthful, and it, well, it used to only happen every three years. From now on, it's only going to happen every five years. Oh, okay. Um, and once you've been accepted into the Hunt Institute, you can't re-enter again, so this was a once-off thing. Yep. So we felt the need to go. Absolutely. And so we... we toured Pennsylvania for three weeks, uh, which probably to a lot of people isn't high on their list of parts of America that you'd visited. I mean, there's... I mean, there's lots of interesting places there, but it doesn't sort of, you know, there's the Grand Canyon isn't there, yes. and, you know, and the you know the Empire State Building isn't there, and you know a lot of the things that we know about America aren't in Pennsylvania, but it's a really pretty place. Okay, and thoroughly enjoyed it. So, mm. uh, had lots of fun. Had a few. Um, um, Disasters with accommodation, but we managed to find somewhere to sleep every night because we didn't have much booked. Right. We had our accommodation in New York booked for the first couple of days, and we had our accommodation in Pittsburgh booked. Uh, but apart from that, it was in the hire car, driving on the wrong side of the road, uh, trying to get used to the American road rules, um, and yeah, you know, sort of all that exciting stuff. Yes, we don't have four-way stop signs here, which I find, <laughs> which I find somewhat mind-altering. <laughs> uh, Goodness, and, right. and in most places, you can do a right-hand turn at a, at a red traffic light as long as it doesn't have a sign up saying no turns on the lights. Oh. So you can go through a red light, basically. Um, and I saw all these cars. Doesn't sound good. No, it, although, although I've got to say that a right-hand turn in America is the same as a left-hand yeah, left turn. Yeah, left-hand turn here, yes, yes. For those who haven't got their head around the idea that you dri- do drive on the opposite side of the road. Uh, so it is like a left-hand turn, and you can do a left-hand turn against the red light um, as long as there's not a sign saying you can't. So they're all things that you get used to after a little while, and I got the hire car back in one piece, so... No. Well, that's the main thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm and pleased about that. Yeah, and we will perhaps in due course talk about a couple of the highlights. Absolutely. Think, so that people can get Definitely. a sense of what we did. Definitely. Good morning, Penny Woodward. <laughs> morning, Pam. Sorry, I reintroduced myself from a fine. <laughs> yeah, so um, it was raining when I got up this morning again. We've had so much rain oh, wasn't down our, our way. At our no, place. No, it wasn't at no my sign. place either. We've just, uh, along the coast, we've okay. just had... Rain after rain after rain. So the garden 
because I haven't been able to do much weeding, I now have weeds over a metre high in various parts of my garden. Oh, <laughs> lovely, healthy and, weeds. And you'll be pleased to know that all the goose grass is going crazy all over the place. But I yeah. keep feeding it to the chooks and they're yeah. still loving it. Yeah, but they're, how much of it can they manage? <laughs> well, not, not as much as I've got, unfortunately. <laughs> yes, I've almost got on top of mine for this year. I mean, all of the, all of the stuff I've been pulling out has been going to the chook shed. Um, but it is one of those plants that I really do want to get on top of because mm. it, it, it just can swamp a whole garden bed almost overnight if yep. you're not watching Particularly it. in this sort of weather where it's oh. starting to get a little bit warmer and the, and the rain for yeah. us is still coming down. And I've and noticed there's the odd seed starting to yes, form in it yeah, as well. Yeah, mine are all so in flower, so I've got to get them out <laughs> before they produce seed. Oh, dear. Uh, the trials and tribulations of being yes. a gardener. Yes. Absolutely, yeah. Um, while you're talking about weeds, um, I might as well discuss this now. This uh, follows up from um, several phone calls we had last week. Mm. Um, uh, Karen, our good friend from West Footscray, yep. rang in to say that she had uh, this weed that was going right through her lawn. Um, it was really taking over. It has burrs on it, mm. um, but it wasn't, from the description, it wasn't the, the weed it. we're all thinking of, yeah. right? Um, so... I've done a bit of homework. We then had quite a few anguish calls once we'd finished the show last week on oh. the off-air line mm. saying that they had it too and that it was everywhere and didn't know how to eradicate it and all the rest of it. Now, it's actually um, it's known as Burr Medic. Yeah. It's, its botanical name is Medicago Polymorpha. Mm. Okay. Um, this is a new weed on me. <laughs> uh, right. There's a picture. All right. Let's so have... it has little yellow flowers. It does oh, no, I have seen that. Yep. You've seen yeah, it? Yeah, I know the plant, yeah. Okay. Yep. So it, it does have um, birds, the, the seed heads. Yeah. Um, but it's, it seems to be taking over a lot of people. It seems to be out of control mm. at the moment in a lot of the suburbs, particularly western suburbs. A lot of our callers were coming from the western mm. suburbs. Um, now, looking up on it, um, ways to eradicate it, herbicides don't really work on it. Mm. Okay? Mm. Um, so what you obviously have to do is, is try and, and get it out before the flowers appear and certainly before the seeds, um, Oh yeah, because spread. otherwise the next season's crop is already in That's place. That's right. So, so once those, once those burrs, you know, dry out and die off, the seeds spread like wildfire. Mm. So, um, one of the suggestions was that if you've already got them with the seed heads, um, with the burrs, you get an old piece of blanket and you drag it over the top. And oh, that, and that'll pick that up. That will ca- yeah. pick up a lot of it. But then the problem is with that, then, you, of course, you can dig out the plant. But the problem is eradicating the seed that's in the soil. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah. you well, one year's weeds is, or yeah. seeds is seven years weeds that's with lots right. of things. And it that's would probably right. be with this plant as well. That's right. Mm. Now, the interesting thing is that online... And apparently it's readily available in Europe and in America, but not here. It's something called CGM, which is corn gluten meal or cornmeal gluten. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not normal cornmeal, yeah. but it's, it's formed by the wet process uh, that they, they do to cornmeal. Oh, right. Yeah. Right? And apparently it's, it's totally organic. Mm-hmm. It's, used, it's used as animal feed for... Mm-hmm. Um, dogs and, and cattle and all sorts of things. So it's, it's totally um, uh, organic in the yeah. process. Um, and apparently you sprinkle that on 
and that actually it, the only effect it has is on the the roots. It's a root inhibitor and uh-huh. and tends to kill off the seeds that are in the soil. Now it tends to not be available in Australia. I've been trying to find a source of it anywhere. Yeah, it does look like you can order it online. Um, so eBay, for instance, have got it advertised. Um, there's a you, there's a lot of um, fodder companies and things, but they're overseas, so yeah. you can get it. So it's a really interesting one. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to know a lot more now, about this. This plant too, I know that it comes from because uh, I have had it uh, okay. at different times, but never in sort of plague proportions. It does come from a single root and spreads across the surface. Yep. So. Physical eradication, particularly before flowering, is the obvious way yes, to go. Yes. Uh, so if you've got it through a lawn, you should be able to roll the stems back and find the um, the, the actual root. root yeah. And if you can find that central root, you should be able to get the whole plant out okay. without too much trouble. Yep. Um, but it's about persistence with any of these weeds. Oh, of course, course it is. You know, uh, so if you're going to try and physically remove any weed, you've got to get on top of it before it goes madly to seed. I mean, it's uh, going to take two seasons because there's mm, going to already yeah. be seed in the ground. Yeah, there will be. And, of course, when you pull it out of a lawn, you're going to have bearer patches where it's come out because it will have swamped some of the grass. Yep. So you may well have to scratch up the ground and re-sow as well yep. because a good thick lawn is less likely to be a weedy lawn. Mm. So, you know, that's the other thing to do. Yep. Um, um, and, of course, it's a legume, so it's actually a nitrogen-fixing plant. <laughs> yes. So, in a sense, it has quite a, um, uh, a useful purpose in a garden in some ways. And if you could pull it out before it goes to seed... Um, then you've got your nitrogen fixed. Yeah, and you could throw it in your compost. Yep. There'd be no reason why it couldn't be yep. composted. Yep. Um, but, yes, just another one of those battalion of nasty blasted weeds out there just yeah. to annoy us gardeners. Yeah. Um, and I would imagine, being a legume like that, that um, you pr- if you've got um, grazing animals like sheep or goats or anything like that, uh, you can throw it in the paddock for the, for the animals. They'd eat it because it would be just like having some lucerne or yeah. similar. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Um, look, the other, the other thing that I try, which I'm using on those sorts of weeds, is if you... If it's become a real problem, is a gas burner. Mm. Um, I I've, I bought one. They're, they're ex- relatively expensive to yeah. set up, but I actually find them really useful for those sorts of weeds. And we are just with the changing climate, we're getting we're getting more mm. weeds that mm. are, you know that are going to become problems in our gardens. Yep. Um, I find that the gas burner actually works pretty well with oxalis. Okay. So um, oxalis needs repeatedly taking the leaves off the top. Yep. And, and yeah, I just... you've got to starve it. Eventually. Yeah, you've yeah. got to yep. starve it. So I just use the burner to, to do that. Um, and once you've got the burner up, you can go around and you can do a whole lot of... Different weights. Not so good on metre high grasses, which I've got in my garden at the moment. But you could actually create the next bushfire well, if you're could. not careful. Yes, and, and you do have to be careful of that. But for this sort of thing, the mm. low growing thing that's close to the ground, it's actually really good. Mm. Um, and if you can do it before the before it sets seed, obviously that yes. makes a big difference. Mm. Yes. And something like that, I would imagine, with something like a, a burner. Um, if you burnt the top off, you'd probably knock it out um, because yeah, all of the go, shoots seem to come from close. above ground level. Yeah. So you'd probably, yeah. I don't think leaving the tap root behind is necessarily going to be an issue. Okay. No, but if it, if it comes back again, you just do it again. Yeah, just mm. do, yeah exactly. And you can be um, quite selective with it. So mm. you can use it in amongst other things, which is good if it's coming up in the lawn. Yeah. Yes. And you don't actually do it to the point of you're burning it. You actually do it so that the whole thing collapses, mm. but you don't brown it. So that seems to be the most effective way of using okay. it. Okay. 
So, you know, if this is an ongoing problem, you've got a big garden, it might be worth investing in a, in mm. a, in a mm. gas burner, which just uses an ordinary gas tank. Or yeah. you can buy little disposable ones, but I just don't do that on, yeah, on um, ecological oh, grounds. Yes, so exactly. I've, I've got a bigger one that I actually put on a trolley mm. and sort of wheel it around the garden and mm. um, use, the, use the burner. Um, mm. Yeah. Good idea. So there you go. Yeah. So there's a, a, an interesting, not new evolving weed, but something that's really um, started to show itself. So yes. whether, whether, whether the, the climate we've been going through at the moment has helped to really bring it on more because, um, I mean, people like Karen were saying they'd never had it before and mm. suddenly it was taking yeah. over. Look, I've pulled it out of the garden at home a few times, but it's never been in large quantities. Yes. And I, but I didn't know it by a name. So until okay, I saw that you photo go. you brought in, yeah. it was just that little legume thing that was a mm. nuisance, really, yeah. basically. Mm. Uh, when you can put a name to things, it sometimes changes your perspective on them a bit. But, yeah, it uh, does. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I know that it does come from a taproot. So if it's not in vast quantities, you should be able to roll it to the side and just, you know, with a, a little hand fork or something yep. like that, just flick it just out of the ground. Mm. Yeah. So, but yes, any of these things. I mean, any weedy species, you really need to get on top of them before they go to seed. Oh, absolutely. Uh, otherwise, you're just creating a nightmare. Yep. Mm. Yep. Okay. Well, we've got that bit out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> I do need to get to some community announcements. Um, luckily, things are quietening down a bit. I was going to say there's say. probably not masses of them. No, by this because time we are year. getting a bit close to Christmas yeah. now. Um, dare I mention that word? So <laughs> uh, things are slowing down a little bit. But there are, there are a couple to alert listeners. Too. All right. Uh, first up, uh, next Sunday, 17th of November, uh, there's the annual Salvias at Nobelius. Um, now, it's uh, this is a sale of Salvias. Uh, it's being uh, held at the Salvia Display Garden, which is in the Nobelius Heritage Park at Emerald. It's just under the Puffing Billy Railway Line. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sold out last year. Now. Um, it, the sale starts at 10 a.m. It's only for the one day. There's going to be all sorts of uh, bargains there until stocks run out. Uh, so that's next Saturday, starting at 10, at uh, Nobelius Heritage Park up there in Emerald. Uh, also, uh, Bushland Flora Nursery have got the second day of their sale. They did have, um, they were open for their sale yesterday, but they're running it again next Saturday, 23rd of November, starting at 8 o'clock, running through into about, uh, through until about 3.34 o'clock. The address of Bushland Flora Nursery is 10 Clegg Road in Mount Evelyn. Now, the team at Kevin Hines Grow have got their Goodbye Spring plant sale and uh, they're running this from both um, their nurseries, both in Coburg and Doncaster. Uh, there'll be, uh, this again is happening next Saturday only, the 23rd of November, 20% off uh, already extremely low prices on all plants, that includes fruit trees, Veg- vegetable seedling, seedlings, <laughs> spit oh, <yeah>. it out. <laughs> okay, um, now the purchase of these plants supports their therapeutic horticulture programs which benefit vulnerable people in the community. The Doncaster Nursery is uh, located at 39 Weatherby Road in Doncaster. That will be open from 8.30 till 12.30. And uh, the Coburg Nursery is located at 512 Sydney Road, Coburg, which is on the corner of Bell Street there in Sydney Road. That will be open from 9 through till 2.30. Uh, people will 
maybe recognise that address uh, that used to be called Pepper Tree Place. Oh, yeah. And uh, Kevin Hines Grow team have taken over the running of uh, of that uh, that garden and that facility there. So that's why there's the two campuses for this plant sale next Saturday. Uh, now in the uh, there is a special exhibition. It's already opened. Uh, this is in the Dandenongs. Um, it's called Stories Behind the Facade. Uh, it's being held at the Yarrow Ranges Regional Museum. Uh, the address of this, it's in Lilydale itself. It's 35 to 37 Castella Street in Lilydale. And uh, it opened uh, last Saturday. Uh, it's running through until Sunday the 26th of January. So there's uh, plenty of time to run along and see this exhibition. Now, it's focusing uh, on five significant heritage buildings in the Dandenong Ranges. It's telling their history and stories being revealed through multiple layers, brought to life by recorded memories, photographs, building biographies, and it's also showcasing unique Polish paper-cutting art form. Uh, now, uh, the buildings being featured are Burnham Beaches, Miller Short House, um, Mawara, Kenlock Estate, and St Michael and All Angels Church there. And in conjunction with this exhibition, uh, there is a program of events. Now, Sunday the 24th of November, there'll be an afternoon talk by Sarah Hardy, and she'll be speaking about the unusual life of Edna Walling. Uh, now, this uh, talk uh, is, uh, starts at 2 o'clock, runs till 3 o'clock, and uh, tickets are $10 for that one. I'll go through how to book in a moment. Then on Saturday the 30th of November, there's evening talks on scientific, botanical and horticultural significance of the regions associated and neighbouring gardens. Now, uh, Craig Wilson from Gentiana Nursery will be speaking about the magnificent garden of Sir Arthur Streeton, Long Acres. Emma Moisey from Fernie Creek Horticultural Society will give an insight into Kenlock. And John Curtis from Parks Victoria will give an overview of the beautiful Alfred Nicholas Memorial Garden, Periander Garden and uh, George Tyndall Memorial Garden. Then finally on Sunday, I should say that talk, that's an evening talk with those three speakers. Uh, and that's running from 6.30 through till 8 o'clock on Saturday the 30th. Tickets are $15 for that one. And uh, finally on Sunday, the 1st of December, Caitlin Metropolis from Heritage Advocacy Advisor with the National Trust will be speaking about why does heritage matter, people connection to places. And uh, so all of these um, uh, are taking place, as I mentioned, on those separate days. Now, to book for them, uh, there is a phone number, one three hundred three six eight triple three or you can book online at box office at yarrarangers.vic.gov.au so one three hundred three six eight triple three or box office at yarrarangers.vic.gov.au for any one of those talks or um uh, there's no need for booking to go along to that exhibition and as I say that's that's running right through until Sunday the 26th of January so plenty of time to go and have a look at that one. 
Okay, just uh, a couple more. And Open Gardens Victoria. Now, um, I'm warning listeners, because I won't be here next week, I won't be doing the program, AB will be hosting in my place. I'm going to um, be talking about not only two open gardens that are coming up next weekend, but I'm also going to mention the open garden for the following weekend because I won't be here to talk about it next week. So we'll get that one out of the way. Um, So the first one for next weekend is a tiny um, garden gem. It's an inner city garden. It's uh, a fairy garden. So this is one to take the kids along to. (laughs) Um, So next weekend, both 23rd and 24th of November, And this is the Garden of Anne Atkins. It's in Fitzroy. Uh, So for almost 20 years, Anne has worked to transform a derelict 1850s former rooming house into a fascinating home with a garden that beckons as soon as you open the front door. The garden is reached through the house. She's very brave. Everyone's going to be traipsing through the house, (laughs) I must say. And en route, visitors are treated to a glimpse of Anne's um, eclectic collection of whimsy, life-size Old ladies who, rec- <laughs> who recline on a couch in the front room. Oh, goodness then me. there's fairy themed ornaments from the tiny to the huge and wax sculpture figures that call out for attention. So that's all just within the house. Um, then uh, uh, back in the garden at the back, every surface is draped and cloaked in greenery and seasonal flowers creating a sense of mystery there's climbing roses, chili and jasmine many other creepers weave their way in and over and under uh, there's camellias, azaleas geraniums um, with violets and ferns thriving uh, in the many shaded sections there's also hanging baskets that have been used to great effect with colourful blooms um, and of course lots of fairies uh, so the magical feel carries right through the garden. It's dotted with fairies and ornaments and comes complete with a chandelier, as you do. Yes, of course. Yeah, and, and just to add to all of that, I don't know how she fits it in, uh, there's a thriving vegetable garden just to complete the picture. So um, that is quite an amazing, as I say, children would love it. Yeah. Wild. So and, much. and adults. And yeah, adults. I was going to say children of all ages, in fact. Yes. I think the cameras will be well and truly out for yeah. that one. So the actual address is 45 Napier Street in Fitzroy. Uh, it's open next weekend, 10 through till 4.30 on both days. Entry is $8 for that one. Now, the other garden that's opening next weekend is a complete contrast. This is Philip Johnson's own personal garden, Billabong Falls. And, of course, this is up in the Dandenong Ranges. It's um, a 28 hectare property at Alinda, surrounded by towering mountain ash. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, you'd be forgiven for the ink. You'd stumbled upon a natural waterhole in a native forest that's been there forever. Uh, so uh, Philip, of course, uh, specialises in the establishment of environmentally sustainable billabongs natural chemical-free swimming pools and water features that are replenished by storm water set within naturalistic landscapes where rock is used to spectacular effect. Uh, the land of Billambong Falls has a 22-metre level change from the top of Phillips Studio to the base of the landscape 
which has allowed runoff water from the driveway and roof to be channeled beautifully through the landscape into two billabongs. One billabong has now become a natural filtration swimming pool with a serpentine timber walkway and small pebble path that creates a reflexology experience um, on bare feet. Uh, other garden features include dry riverbeds, an outdoor shower and a beautiful private setting area complete with fire pit. And uh, Philip's actual design studio will also be open to the public that weekend. Now, the address of Philip's Garden is 1 Holden Road in Alinda. It's open 10 through till 4.30 uh, next weekend. Entry is $10 for that one. Children under 18 are free. As well, there'll be um, a sausage sizzle all day on both days uh, by the local CFA. There'll be plant sales on both days. And as I mentioned, Philips Design Studio will also be open to the public on both days. So we do have a free double pass for each of those gardens to give away. Now, I'm only talking gardens that are open next weekend. I want to really make that clear to people. So if you'd like to uh, grab one of those free double passes, either to the Fairy Garden in uh, Fitzroy or to uh, Philip uh, Garden uh, up in Olinda there, uh, do give us a call. The number is 94190155. That's nine. Four one nine zero one double five. Okay, having emphasised that they are next weekend, <laughs> yes. I will now um, totally confuse my listeners yeah. and say I am going to talk about one garden that will be opening in two weeks' time. So that's 30th of November and 1st of December. So two weeks' yeah. time. I can't emphasise <laughs> that enough. Okay, now this is... Um, um, a country garden in Malmesbury. It's called Melrose. Uh, it's a circa 1860s bluestone cottage and uh, the designer has transformed a former horse paddock into a garden sanctuary with a mix of styles and elements. There's a formality and symmetry, some romance and wildness. Ornamental plants mingle with productive plants including pistachios, mulberry and quince. There's local recycled materials and artefacts from overseas, just to add a bit more character. Now, the entrance is a rambling cottage garden of roses and lavenders with poppies self-seeding in the gravel. Uh, then uh, beyond, there's a Mediterranean-oriented uh, courtyard surrounding the living and dining areas, uh, combining the central fish pond, grape-covered arbour, iron windows from turkey and pots of citrus, Now then, a couple of other interesting features. The old lean-to kitchen cottage was actually relocated from the Bluestone House to the far corner of the property to use as a gardener's shed coupled with a vegetable garden. And it's there uh, uh, as if it were a completely independent living space with its own garden. Next to this, there's a chicken house uh, where a, a chicken family now live and that was created with fruit trees providing shade in the chicken run. Espaliered fruit trees use minimal space, including some lovely step-over apples, which line the uh, low bluestone retaining walls. And uh, the pool is a central feature of the garden, integrated into the uh, garden landscape to create the sense of a pond where ornamental grasses and productive trees 
go up to the edges and fragrant jasmine and lavender spill over the sides to help create the feel of a natural water feature. The pool shed was inspired by the hay sheds of central Victoria using bush telegraph poles, recycled railway sleepers and corrugated iron and internally a serene Middle Eastern theme. So lots to see in that garden, lots of interest as well. Now the address for Melrose is 33 Close Street, that's spelled C-L-O-W-E-S, Close Street, Malmesbury. As I said, it's open Saturday the 30th and Sunday the 1st of December, 10 o'clock through till 4.30, and entry is $8 for that one. Children under 18 are free. So I do have one free double pass for that one, but just <laughs> please bear in mind that it's not next weekend, it's the following, following weekend, weekend. Yes. 30th of November and 1st of December. So we won't talk about my garden being open then, because <laughs> that's the following weekend. <laughs> we might leave that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so we'll just confuse everybody we'll just, completely. Totally. We might mention it later in the yeah, program. Good idea. Yeah, good. Um, Pam, if you've run out of announcements, could I just do one for the Herb Society? Absolutely. Yeah. So on um, Thursday the 5th of December, the Victorian Herb Society are having, first of all, a picnic get-together from 6pm at Burnley. They do this every year as their sort of final meeting for the year. Um, And so this is for people who can make it a little earlier. They meet at the Sugar Gum Tree Table near the Herb Garden and everyone brings their own plate to share. Um, and if it's wet, they move inside to their meeting room and just do the same thing in the meeting room. Sure. Um, but the general meeting um, is 7.15 to 7.30, and this is all at Burnley Horticultural College, and it's in the main, the meeting room is in the main building. It's number 10 is the room. Is the room. Um, and it's Professor Chris Williamson from the Burnley campus who's actually talking uh, on Indigenous food crops, their the history, opportunities and challenges. So he's looking at... Um, the possibilities of growing indigenous crops you know commercially so for for all people so um, he's a professor in ecosystem and forest science at Melbourne University um, his area of interest is in native vegetable herb food sources and its application for future food crops so I think that could be a really interesting talk so if you um, are interested in that or in the herb society then go along to the meeting mm, excellent okay now, Penny, we should mention that organic gardener. The next one is out. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to, I mean, because it's every six weeks, it, it actually feels as if it's coming out every month because I seem does. to be talking about a new one each time I come in. But there must be one meeting at least, one um, th- time that I'm coming into 3CR when there won't be a new one out. So anyway, this one, I love the cover of this and I partly love it because I suggested it. But it's a, <laughs> Well, that's a good, just, good enough reason. Well, it's not my photo or anything, but I wrote the article on the heirloom zucchinis mm. that's, that's in it and I was searching through the photo sites and I saw this one and I... When I was sending them off, I put in brackets beside it. I think this would make a great cover. And usually I'm hopeless at picking photos for the cover, but obviously they agreed with me. So oh, Well done. So, yeah. so it's bright blue um, with the zucchinis in a bowl, and it just looks gorgeous. It's one of the more cheerful covers, I think. Um, but I think one of the things that we've been doing, this is the final one for um, our 20th anniversary, so yes. marking the fact that the magazine's been going for 20 years. And um, Steve has written a really interesting editorial about where he sees the future of the planet and um, that sort of thing. And um, and some of our writers who were have been writing or have been writing for a long time 
Um, so Annette McFarlane and Simon Webster and Jessamy Miller and um, Linda Coburn have all talked about how what they're feeling about the future is and what we need all need to be doing. And and the and the magazine is full of ideas. And one of the one of the things that's becoming clear about about what we need to do if we're taking some personal responsibility is not to use so much. Mm. So there's an article in here about reusing clothing, for instance. Mm. So um, I think they're starting to get on. You know, I just ma- leave it in the wardrobe long enough yeah, and it I'm, comes back. I, well, I do too. I mean, I'm, I've never been a fashion a fashionista, as people yeah. who know me know very well. I wear my clothes until they're full of holes and well after um, yeah. But, you know, we do we do have this idea that, you know, you can go out and buy cheap things and just throw them out. And, yeah. and I've never done that. But I think we need to be thinking more about doing those sort of things. Um, Simon's written an interesting article about, about um, cane toads and, and where we are with cane toads at the moment and trying to control them. And we're going to have much more of those sorts of pests making their way yes, south, south yes. because of the warming climate, including fruit fly. Well, they've already found it down here. Uh, now, yes, I they? know. Oh, have they? Haven't, oh, yeah, they're yes. in they're in um, western Melbourne, so oh, they're yeah. actually and they're certainly up in the Yarra Valley. Oh, so you know you you need to be on the watch for it, particularly if we have another another hot summer. So mm. the the thing here we go again. The thing that we that you need to do is get some of the male pheromone traps out into your trees. Yeah, because that will tell you whether you've got them or not. Um, and then if you see the fruit fly in those traps, you, need, you know that you need to start protecting your fruit by bagging them. Or and, by and if you do see them yeah. on the traps, is there a need to be reporting that back? I don't think so anymore. I think they know. They know they enough know that about the spread. I, mean, I think if I suddenly found it on the Mornington Peninsula, because I know it's not there yet, then I would probably let someone know. Yep. But I don't think it's a, um, a regulation. Yeah, it's not a mandatory that, thing. Not a no, mandatory okay. report because they know that it's here in yep. Victoria. Okay. They know that it's in the western suburbs and okay. they know it's in the Yarra Valley in the fruit areas. Oh, so, that is a real worry because they produce so much up in the Yarra yeah, Valley. Mm. Yeah. So they're, they're working really hard to get people to recognise it and to yep. work out what to do. Okay. So um, there's, they've got a very active group up there who are, who are trying to get the message out and going along to gardening groups and talks and all that sort of thing to, yeah. to let people know how you, that yeah. we have to deal with it. Yeah, you know, yeah, you've got yeah. To, got to cope with it but and fortunately they have more organic solutions these days for it as well good can i good. Can, can i just say yep. um one of these articles is just really stood out to me <laughs> the cryptogamic garden yeah, yeah. tell um, listeners about that uh, look this is this is the wonderful um alison pulio who is probably better known for her the knowledge fungi of fungi. Yes. But she looks at all those, those smaller things in the garden. And again, I'm, I'm really pleased with this because this was my idea as well. I kept saying to Steve, I, I'm so sick of people trying to get rid of mosses and things yeah. in their garden. They're such an important part of the garden and they're an integral part of the garden. And if you've got a healthy garden, you should have mosses and lichens and exactly. little warts growing mm. in your garden. Yep. And I actually studied these at university a long time ago. And if I had hung around, I probably would have, you know... Well, you might have been writing that article. I might have been writing this article. (laughs) But Ellen has done... Alison has done this amazing article on what are are known more generally as cryptogrammic plants. So they're the ones that are sort of hidden in full sight. So they're tiny and, and you don't always see them in the garden. You don't appreciate how important they are. 
So um, Alison identifies sort of some of the different groups and um, which are the mosses, lichens and liverworts and talks about why they're important in the garden and how they stabilise soil and they create micro, tiny little microclimates mm. where some of the insects and, can exist and then the tiny frogs use the damp that is collected by the moths and then, you know, all that sort of thing. And I just think it's a fabulous article. So I was really, really pleased um, that we finally got that one in. And um, lichens can actually be used as monitors of air pollution, for instance. Yes, because if you've got good, healthy lichen, you've generally got, got good, good, healthy air. air. Mm-hmm. Although it depends a bit on the lichen. Yeah. So that's one of the things that Alison explains in here mm-hmm. as well. So And they do look lovely. Yeah, exactly. People who hate those sort of plants and think yeah. they're some sort of weed, basically. Yeah. It's sad yeah. because they are beautiful. Oh, yeah. they are. Yeah. And I actually really like having moss in the lawn. Oh, so the, do in I. In a couple of I love areas. It. And they... It can actually be, it can be such a vibrant colour mm. too. We had a, <laughs> this shows how slick I am, but we had a, a doormat out that we weren't actually using at the front door, but we had it to one side at the top of the steps to sort of wipe your feet on before you got to the front door, it sort of tracked stuff across the deck. And I've, we hadn't used it for ages and it had just been sitting there. And one day I looked at it closely and suddenly realised the whole thing had grown with moss <laughs> all over it. And it was this gorgeous bright green. And it was yeah, so you've got, a, you've got an organic <laughs> doormat. Actually, I have to say, I'm, uh, pro- I could probably take that to a new level because my previous vehicle, my previous van before the one I've got now, uh, never got washed in its life. Mm. I just waited for nature to take its course. Mm. And I actually had some really nice lichen growing around the rubber on yes, the back window. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so I've, I had a habitat on I've my van. I've actually got I've mo- had moss. That too. I've, we've got yes. moss growing around our van window. Yes. So. <laughs> I can identify with yeah, that. Yeah, yes. I was quite proud of my little yeah, sort of habitat yeah. on the van. So, Why not? so one of the special things about these plants is that they can grow almost anywhere. Yeah. You know, they will colonise all these odd corners mm. and spaces and all that sort of thing. And mm. that then create soil for the next mm. level to come along. So for a seed of a tiny, you know, um, ordinary, I um, can't think of what they're called, but um, flowering plant to start Yeah, some growing. sort of angiosperm. That's it. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so so they're, they're a really important part of the environment. So, yeah. And so they are really beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Know, so I think we they need are. to look at these things with a, uh, a new eye. Yes. So I'm glad yeah. that the article's in there. I think that's a really important thing. Yes, I do too. Yeah. Yes. So, and there's, there's Zucchini, and Justin has written about um, eating every part of a plant. Mm. So instead of just eating the, the um, heart of the cabbage, you can also eat the leaves and use it in soups and things like that. Don't just feed it to your chooks. And mm. if you're looking at radishes, you can eat the bulbs, you can eat the leaves, you can eat the flowers, and you can eat the mm. seed pods. Um, the seed pods are amazing. Uh, I don't know if you've ever tried radish seed pods. No, I've never radish tried radish seed pods. Seed pods. No, Most people, they don't stay there long enough to no. harvest them. But if you leave some radishes in, you can get these amazing seed pods that cook up beautifully. So, you know, um, it's, that's a really interesting article as well. So, Excellent. Yeah, some good stuff. And there, it's out now? It is out now, and it's bright blue, so you can't miss it on the news okay. agent. Plus the zucchinis. You Plus can't the miss zucchinis. those either. No, no, you can't miss the zucchinis and the flowers. Well, I always do in the garden until they turn into blimps. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes, they hide from they you. They do hide <laughs> under the leaves. <laughs> okay, well, it is... Uh, oh, look, goodness me, look who we've got online. We're going to go to uh, Fermi in Reedsdale. Good morning, Fermi. Hello, Fermi. Fermi, are you there? You haven't gone off to make yourself a cup of coffee, have you? Hello, Fermi. No, no, no. I might just, uh, I might just put him on hold and see if we can, see if we can get him later. back. Mm. Yeah, 
Okay, all right. In the meantime, I will uh, give out the phone numbers. It's high time we did uh, take some calls from our listeners. Uh, if you'd like to speak to Stephen and Penny, do give us a call. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Stephen, let's start with the plant. All right, and keep in mind that they are up on the Facebook page, so if people want to see the the images, uh, you know, I know we're terribly descriptive, but nonetheless, a photo is a good idea. So they've all been put up on the uh, garden garden uh, show Facebook page. And the first one I want to talk about is a very old-fashioned shrub that you don't see grown terribly much anymore, um, which is sort of sad. It's a thing called Colquitsia amabilis, uh, the Chinese beauty bush, or at least it was called Colquitsia amabilis till quite recently. So it's another one of those plants that's had a name change, and it's weirdly been put into a a tiny genus. In fact, it used to be a genus of one species, uh, a thing called Linnae, which Linnae borealis, which is a circumpolar plant that has little stems that come up with two flowers that sit at the top and it was named after Carl von Linn or von Linn. Okay. So, so Stephen's using hand action yes, to I'm describe ju- what it is. Yeah, I'm sorry, is, I, I can't help myself. If I stop using <laughs> my hands, I stop talking. Yes. Uh, so Colquitsia is now Linnae amabilis, uh, if you're going to keep up with the current nomenclature. Uh, but um, So the genus has disappeared, basically, uh, sadly, because it was only one species in the genus. And quite a few other things have been dumped in with Linnae as well. It's a deciduous shrub, grows up to around about four metres, so it's quite a large shrub. Uh, Its branches come up and arch over in a rather beautifully cascading form. And the whole thing is a shower of pale, pale pink with sort of orange netting inside the flower, which is not obvious from a distance. It just gives it a slightly coppery tinge. Um, but really, at close quarters, the most beautiful little flower. And it's got, is, is that the one that's giving the fabulous scent? Or is that something, does it have a scent? Not that I know of, well, I've I never... Can, I can smell something. Oh no, it has got a slight perfume. Yeah. Yeah, oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, I've never really paid yeah. much attention no, to that, but you're lovely. right, Penny, it's got a, quite a it's nice a, scent. Yeah, it's um, not overpowering, it's just been sort of... And it's a tough shrub, so okay. it's quite hardy. The only drawback, I guess, is that it's quite a large shrub, takes up quite a bit of space, uh, and when it finishes flowering, it tends to somewhat disappear into the background. Can you, is it one of the ones that you can cut back hard and get... No. No. Okay. No, unfortunately you can't because if you cut it back really hard, it'll send out a lot of water shoots and not flower the next year. Okay. So, uh, I selectively thin it is how right. I prune it. So every yep. few years I'll go through and take out the oldest of the canes because it has a cluster of stems mm. from ground level like mm. a lot of these deciduous shrubs do. Um, so you've really got to allow it to have its head. You can't really trim it back and keep it small and compact because it just doesn't flower properly if you try so yeah so allow it its head um and look i get four weeks out of it i suppose maybe Mm. slightly longer and i guess i don't expect too much more from a lot of other plants in the Mm. garden it's just that it is quite a big bush and people go oh yeah but what's after Uh, and there isn't a lot of after with it Uh, i mean the bush is elegant enough with its arching branches but it's really about its confection of soft pink flowers in the late spring into the early summer Uh, it does come out when a lot of that early spring freshness is over so it Mm. sort of carries your spring through a wee bit and i think it's a great old-fashioned plant that perhaps should be seen a little bit more. It'd be good along boundary lines and things where you want to screen yourself in from the neighbours a bit, because uh, getting up to that four metre mark makes it quite a nice mm. size plant. Um, and mm. it's, if you know what an abelia looks like, it's not mm. dissimilar it's and is related. Yep. Yeah. So, yep. so Colquitsia amabilis, or now Linnae amabilis, um, I think is a fabulous plant. On a slightly different level, 
I bought in a shrub from Chile. Uh, it's only got one little cluster of flowers, and I probably could have just picked the flowers and bought them in, but I didn't. Um, and it's a, a plant in the Calcellaria family mm-hmm. uh, called Jovalana, Jovalana violacea, and it's an evergreen shrub from Chile. Uh, it does need to be pruned right down to ground level every so often because it gets very twiggy and rather un- unattractive after a time. So after flowering, if you cut it off at ground level, perhaps every two, maybe three years, and it gets the cutest little uh, mauve flowers, quite a rich, clean mauve. Uh, they're almost sort of... S- snapdragonish or something mm. in that sort of vein uh, and when you look inside the flower it has dark chocolatey sort of blotches and a yellow tongue um, mm. and it's a cutie uh, it is gorgeous and its foliage is pretty um, and it likes similar conditions to a fuchsia so okay. if you know how to grow a decent fuchsia you should be able to grow a jovalana um, and in fact it'd be a nice plant to mix in a bed with such plants so um grows to about a metre, a metre and a half maybe, but it suckers slightly so you'll end up with quite a thicket of it and over time it can make quite a large thicket, uh, but it's reasonably easy to control with a sharp spade, mm-hmm. so if it gets a bit too wide for your purposes just chop it back uh, doesn't like to get too dry, just like the fuchsia, so mm-hmm. treat it more or less as you would a fuchsia and you should be able to grow a gervalana, and again it's one of those sort of obscure shrubs that you don't see planted very often, and when it's in full bloom I've got a thicket of it in the nursery at the moment in full flower, and it attracts an enormous amount of attention. Everybody wants to know what it is, um, and uh, it's sort of, it epitomises cute, <laughs> if that makes any sense. It's got the cutest little flower, it makes you smile when you see it in bloom, um, and yeah, it's just a cheery little thing. So, Jovalana violacea from Chile. So, there's two of the plants which you'll see on the Facebook page if you want to go and look. You're listening to Community Radio. 3CR. 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 8.55 a.m. Well, I've just, uh, I've just worked out why we weren't getting to Fermi, because oh. um, we actually weren't in delay. And, of course, if we're not in seven-second delay, uh, um, no. we can't take phone calls. But with a bit of luck, we are now in delay, and we'll see we'll try if again. we can go to Fermi, who I believe is there. Hello, Fermi. Hello. Yes, Hello. we've got you. Yes. Wonderful. <laughs> well done. Good. Thank oh. you for your patience, Fermi. Oh, that's okay. I've been listening to Stephen. Yeah. Good. On. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I didn't realise that about Colquitzias now being in Linnea. Oh, yeah, as is Dipelta and as okay. is half of the Abelias. We're going to regret this. Yeah, I'm already regretting it. (laughs) But there's not a lot of we can do about it, and there's no holding it back. It would seem. So I have. I'm stoically trying to cope. Is what I'm trying to do with all these name changes. Um, And in fact, I've got to the point now where before I write a label for anything, I tend to go into Plants of the World Online, the Q site, and just check because you never know what they've been messing with lately. Um, Can I just mention to you that I discovered yesterday that um, a whole lot of plectranthids have been moved back into Collius. Yeah, into Collius, yes. I saw something Mm. on Facebook yesterday Mm. that uh, Collius had been reinstated as a Mm. a genus name. So Uh, all the the Australian plectranthids have gone back to Collius. (laughs) 
Ah, <laughs> oh, look, it's a fun game to play. It's because they do DNA testing. Yeah, So exactly. they think that these plants are closely related, but when they DNA test them, they find that they're not closely yeah. related. Yeah, or so. in, fa- in fact the reverse. They find yeah. that they are really closely related yeah. to something they didn't realise they were. So, yeah. yes, it's one of those things. In fact, I had a, a bit of a weird moment recently. There's a plant I grow called Melanosalinum discipiens, and uh, it's an um, umbelliferous thing from uh, Madeira, and it has a trunk like a palm tree, and it has these big angelic like leaves that hang mm. off it. Uh, and um, its botanical name actually translates as black parsley, of all things. Mm. Um, and it's been dumped in with carrots. Oh, it's okay. now a Dorcas. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I, I still can't get my head around it. It's just bizarre. Anyhow, Fermi, I'm sorry. We're, we're <laughs> prattling on about name changes, and you've run yeah. for something else probably. Well, well, no, I, well, I was actually ringing about something else, but I wanted to just say one of the weirdest name changes I saw was that... Um, Rosemary, oh. which was Rosemarinist um, officinalis, it was now called Salvia Rosemarinaris. Yes, Rosemar- right. and, yes um, I, I have heard this, and the Salvia study group are not impressed. No, well, okay. I, I thought they were the ones pushing for it. No, no, I was talking <laughs> to one of them not that long ago and said, what do you think? And she said, I don't agree with it, the petal form's wrong, blah, 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 and went on and on about it. So I don't think they're particularly happy having rosemary well, dumped in with salvia. Well, I'm not sure if it's actually taken because um, I went on um, World Floor Online and, and it wasn't there. Yeah. The, the change wasn't there, so I don't know whether it was accepted. Yeah, well, I I might check that myself on Plants of the World online when I get back and see what they have to say about it. I tend to stick with the Q site, not because um, I enjoy what some of the things they're doing, but I guess if somebody queries a name change, I can say, well, that's my authority. Yeah, you need to stick with one, don't you? Yeah, I think so, because everybody has a different idea. I mean, Mm. if you go into an American site, I'll guarantee they'll have a different attitude about some plant names. I'll just go on to to the the Spanish uh, taxonomists and daffodils. Uh-oh. The Narcissus, they, they've come up with all these new names for Narcissus, oh, which used to be subspecies of different ones. And, of course, that's a problem for us when we're importing seed. Yeah, because if you've got because the new if name, it, if they're not on Bicon, mm. we won't get them. Yeah. Mm. Yes, it is an issue. And, of course, I don't know that the powers that be are keeping up to date particularly well uh, no, with regards unless, to Not unless we inform them, because um, they've, of course, outsourced that sort of stuff to... Um, Joe Public because um, they're cutting back on staff so they can do silly things like print um, um, make up um, border security dogs and things like that you know anyway we won't go into the politics of it Um, actually was visiting a friend of mine who said oh Stephen's speaking at the Horticultural Society on Monday. Yes, in Kyneton. But I've never heard about the topic, so that's what I was ringing to ask you. Oh, it's going to be our trip to Morocco. Oh, right. Yes, and I think Craig's finishing the PowerPoint this morning. (laughs) 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 Uh, Well, it was sort of more or less finished last night, but I'm hoping he's going to do a bit of captioning and stuff uh, uh, this morning before he goes off to work. So if you're listening, Craig, I hope it's sort of organised. Otherwise, I'll have to fly uh, by the seat of my pants a wee bit. The images are all there. It'll be attractive for people to see. Um, It was a great trip to Morocco. It's one I did for Australians studying abroad, and we did see some wonderful gardens. 
mountains and, and saw some fabulous scenery and stuff. So, yeah, so that is the plan for the Kyneton Horticultural Society. And, I, and it'll be Monday night at 8 o'clock. Uh, I don't actually have the address with me here. I can't remember. The Uniting where. Church Hall. Ah, Uniting Church in, Hall. Fantastic. In, I think well, it's Ebden Street. Yeah, so that should be easy enough for people to find. So if you're around the Kyneton area or prepared to travel, why don't you come in and um, listen to my talk on Morocco tomorrow night? Yes, so thank you for that, Fermi. Um, I was giving you a plug. Yes, good. <laughs> and um, we'll catch up with you soon because I think you're picking up my ticket to the open garden in Malmesbury. Oh, am I? Uh, no, no, it's, it's, it's being posted to you, Fermi. It, it actually, um, it, the people at Open Gardens Victoria actually post it direct. I don't have them okay. here. Oh, okay. So it's coming in the mail to you. Uh, See, there you go. There's a disadvantage. You won't get to see my beautiful face. I don't usually ring in for these because the post takes more than a week to get here. Oh, no, they send a a priority mail. You'll get it. Oh, okay. Yep. And if you don't, you can talk your way in. You're good at that. (laughs) I'm a friend of Stephen's. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you can play that card. I don't know that it'll do you any good, but, you know. (laughs) Okay. I thought that was, that's all I was ringing about to give you a plug. All right, fantastic. Thank okay. you, Fermi. Thanks a lot. Bye. Okay, bye. Now, Penny, we have a very special supporter segment this morning. Um, it's one that's close to yours and my heart. Yes, indeed. Yes. So um, I think the listeners will remember the Community Gardens book that you and I wrote together a few years ago now. And um, it, we, it's, a, it's a bit of a long story, but as, as part of... Um, our distributor going into liquidation, um, we ended up with quite a few books that um, we uh, we had to drop the price of it. So we're doing a special listeners segment today to offer these much cheaper um, community gardens books um, for only ten dollars. So and just to remind listeners, it it covers some of the people of the community gardens and the the, the stories of the people that um, when we won the HMA. Laurel for it, mm. the judges said, reduce them to tips. I think, were you one of the judges? Oh, yes, I yes. was one of the judges, This was a long Penny. time ago. Yes, it was a while uh, ago. Um, and, um, but it, it's also about the plants that are, that are grown in the, in the community gardens, which are, there are some really unusual and interesting plants, which are now much more mainstream, which I see being picked up on, you know, uh, Instagram and yeah. people who have suddenly discovered this plant. And I look at it and think, oh, yeah, Pam, and I wrote about this <laughs> 10 years ago. Ages ago. Yeah. Yeah. That that's right. Um, But they're still really interesting, and and also all the recipes. So Pam, I would say it's one of the few books I've read, and it almost brought a tear to my eye with some of the stories of the people involved. So it's a it's it's not a normal gardening book. Yeah, well, it's it's a history book Mm. that talks about the history of some of our immigrants. And and Pam, you might like to tell the story of why we wrote it in the first place. Well, well, the first thing I would say is that it's. That it's timeless. I mean, particularly we're still we're still talking refugees, mm. and and this whole book. Well, I had the the privilege of actually being able to to sit in a garden and talk to every single one of these mm. gardeners, spending hours with them. Uh, most of them couldn't speak English, um, so I had to work with an interpreter to hear their stories, and and the average person, the average Australian, would not. Have got to hear their stories, mm. and this, the the stories are incredible. What mm. we forget, what these refugees mm. have gone through, the mm. the absolute trauma and tragedy, and um, war, conflict, uh, families losing members of the family, families are being spread 
right throughout the world so they, they suddenly never get to see their, their children again because they've gone, they've managed to escape their war-torn zone and go to a different part of the mm. world. And, and these are just as appropriate today. These mm. are what our refugees mm. that we're hearing about in the news um, are still dealing with. But the book actually, because uh, these people had very luckily managed to finally make it to Australia. And to be accepted. And to be accepted. And, mm. and many of them went into detention centres before yeah. they were accepted. Um, but you get to, to hear the human face of these mm. refugees. You really do. But, but I think for me one of the things was um, to see how much they're giving back to our country at the same time. So although they've had these traumatic lives... Um, they are extraordinary people who who are bringing up children mm. who are becoming lawyers and scientists and you know a whole range of important um, things and they're so dedicated to mm. their new country and so pleased to be here um, and I just I think you and I both felt that that was part of the story that needed to Absolutely. be told. Absolutely. Um, and we were able to tell it from the plant side, but unexpectedly we also got this other side of of. Um, and, and universally amongst these people, what they wanted was a better life for their children. Mm. And their children were, were just and still are giving so much to mm. Australia. Mm. So. And the other thing is that, that because all of these people were gardening, many of them had gardened back home um, where they'd originally come from, and, and their sheer joy... Um, although they'd, they'd finally been housed on, on some of um, Melbourne's public housing estates, um, because, um, because there were community gardens at the base of these buildings, they were able to actually get a little plot of soil to grow culturally um, significant food that they used to grow back home, which meant they could then cook the food that they used to cook back home because they could finally get ingredients, which you couldn't buy in the shops no, here. No, um, and, and, and they were also, through those gardens, they were passing on that culture back home to their children, mm. Um, mm. getting their children to come and help with the gardens, getting their children to learn to mm. cook these, these foods again and, and keeping that culture alive, but also sharing that culture and their foods with all the other gardeners they mingled mm. with in the community gardens, and that's so important. They couldn't wait to share their plants, share their mm. recipes, share the taste of their foods with other gardeners who were, who'd also come from all other different parts of the world. So it was such a, an eclectic mix of people and cultures and nationalities and personalities. Um, like one gardener, I, I, I love quoting the fact that in, in, in one of the gardens in, in North Melbourne, None of them could speak English. Um, there were, there were um, Chinese people uh, in the garden. There were people from Central and South America in the garden who were speaking Spanish. Um, they found English too hard because they hadn't had the lessons yet. They found, they found um, Chinese language much too hard. But all of them, because they wanted to communicate, and particularly the Chinese, they all learned to, to pick up a smattering of Spanish because it's an easier language to pick up. And <laughs> this extraordinary, extraordinary situation of going into the garden and seeing these Chinese and, and, and Central and South American people all speaking to each other in, in Spanish. And it was just incredible. Mm. It, was, mm. it was really heartwarming to me that they wanted so much to get on and to share and make new friends and, and just really, really um, 
revel in this new life that Australia had given them and they were so appreciative, so appreciative of, of what this second chance at life had, had mm. been given to them. Yeah, so so in the book for each um, person we um, interviewed, you interviewed them, um, We I then typed them up and, and edited them down because we couldn't put the full stories <laughs> yeah. in, otherwise the book would have been much too big. Um, and, and, and you photographed and them, the photographed met them, them so. and met them and 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 all of that and um, and then I went home and cooked all cooked the food. All, the, all the recipes <laughs> and I investigated. Do you still use any of those yeah. plants? I do, yeah. I yes. do. Well, there you yeah. go. Look at that. And and um, and we also I had to identify some of the plants that mm. they were growing. We and, certainly did. Some of them were quite hard what, to yeah, identify and find out what what they were used for and and all of that's in the book. Yeah, so, fantastic. You know, so if people want a copy. How do they go about it? Uh, you ring in, and you ring in right now yeah. on both phone lines. I've, I've got both Susie and Emma standing by the phones ready to take your calls. So ring in on either 94190155 and speak to Emma, or you can also ring in on 94198377 and speak to Susie. Um, $10 a copy of the book, which is... Um, an absolute bargain now, I have to say, even though I say that myself. And if you do want it posted, uh, an extra $5 for, will cover the postage well, and we'll send it's it out. It's still well under retail value. Oh, absolutely. Posted, so that's. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, and, and I will add that, um, the gardening show didn't quite reach, um, its target for mm. the radiothon. Um, if people can do us a huge service by not only supporting the gardening show, supporting 3CR as well, we can make up that deficit um, that we didn't reach for our target. But in the same time, you're grabbing yourself um, a very, very cheap copy of a book that I think you will absolutely love. Well, people will. They'll enjoy it no end. So those, those numbers, both phone lines, 94190155 or 94198377. Eight three double seven to grab a copy of those books. Okay, and Penny, you brought in you brought in some plants that actually we do talk about in the book. Yes, so I I just grabbed two very quickly from my garden. One of one of them, and this is relevant to what I was saying before. This was until recently known as Plectranthus amboinicus, mm-hmm. um, which is also known as Five Seasons herb, um, but it's just changed to Collius. <laughs> Change back to Collier. So there are quite a few books that actually call it Collier. So, um, uh, you know, quite often I'd have to put Sin, Collier and Bornicus. Um, But it's it's known as Five Seasons Herb or Cuban Oregano. It's used a lot in in Thai cooking. It's quite a cold-sensitive plant, so Mm. that if you're growing it in Melbourne, you'd need to grow it in a pot and put it somewhere where it's... um, um, out of the extreme cold yeah. and wet in winter, but I've kept it alive in my garden for years and years now. So um, it has it's a very strongly scented herb. Do you know it, Steve? No, it's I'm not familiar with it. Ooh, it has. Yeah, so you don't want to overuse it. Mm. Um, it's in within the Thai um, cuisine. They tend to chop it up finely and um, sprinkle it over soup. Mm. Um, it's closely related to um, Plectranthus caninus, which is yeah, dog's the dog bane. bane yeah. <laughs> um, but this is a really nice scent. Yeah, dog bane's got dog a rather bane is, iffy yeah. smell to it. But um, so it's mm, yeah. So good. and it's in flower at the moment. It has a lovely mauve mauve flower to it. So it grows really easily from cuttings. Um, but you do need to you do need to stop it from getting cold and wet in winter. 
but otherwise it'll do really well. And a bit of moisture in summer, so it won't tolerate a, a huge yeah, amount so of dry. So although it's, it's succulent-y feeling, <coughs> yeah, it's not it actually does, a real yeah, dry dog, tolerant dog bane, um will tolerate no mm. water at all. This one does need a bit yeah. of water in dry weather. Oh, <laughs> and and the other one is water celery, mm-hmm. which um, this one I just put a couple of plants in the in the community gardens. They would grow it in polystyrene boxes lined with plastic. Yes, and it grows really easily. But it's a really nice little celery it, plant. It sort it of just looks like watercressish. Like, yeah, looking, yes, it? yeah, yes. But it is it it tastes like celery, and it's a really nice way of, mm, of having does. fresh, crunchy, crunchy celery flavours. So. Mm. Um, very easy to grow as long as you've got a pond or or, or a bath or a sink yeah, or something you can hold some moisture that in. will actually hold water in it. So mm-hmm. it does need to grow actually in water. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that was another one that we discovered. Um, and uh, some of the things they do in the community gardens is that you'd have the shade-loving plants down the bottom, and then they oh, this is on a sort of a shelf set up. And the next thing you'd have the water plants, and then on the top you'd have the sun-loving plants, mm. all growing in polystyrene boxes or pots or those, they had such amazing ways of making use of small spaces. Absolutely. So sometimes to the chagrin of the people who were running the gardens True. because they got a bit out of hand from time to time. <laughs> Occupational um, health and safety well, that, um, was yeah. a bit of a problem. And, and putting fences around to grow things up, but then the fences got too big and were shading the neighbouring gardens. So there was yep. a lot of diplomacy yep. needed <laughs> in some of the gardens. But and so lots, of, lots of use of umbrellas too to yes, shade plants. True. Yes, that's yes. Yeah, and some of the innovative ways of stopping the birds from eating the plants were, were really interesting with strings strung across with plastic bags in the, in the strings that would mm. flap and rustle and stop the birds from feeding. And Yeah, so all sorts of really interesting ideas as well as interesting plants. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we do have uh, we do have quite a few books here. We've got fifty six <laughs> to, to, to actually put together. So, so Pam and I have donated a box each yes. of books, and there's twenty eight. I think, in a box. Yes, yeah. there is, 28 in a box. So uh, if you would like to uh, to grab hold of a copy of this book, um, we we just want to share the love, yeah. to be Indeed. quite honest, and yeah. the stories, because, because they're stories that just have to be told. And um, yeah. I would love to send a copy to all the politicians. I really yeah. would. I think, I think if they could read some of the stories and just realise how much these people have enriched our society... Yep. Um, they might have second thoughts about how they're I'm not sure about some of our politicians no. having second thoughts about anything, but, but yeah, anyway, it could be worth a try. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, they, those numbers, again, if you'd like to grab a copy of the book, do. there are a few uh, callers online, so don't give up. Um, they yeah. will get round to answering the Try again the in five minutes. Yes. We're not going to run out. That's mm. right. But the numbers are 94190155 or 94198377. Now, I've had a quick message here from um, Pam in Kyneton. There is a Kyneton talk tomorrow at the Uniting Church. Uh, It's starting at 7.30. Cost is $2 for members and $10 for non-members. And it's talking about, now I've heard this before, it's talking about remedy for pollen allergies. And uh, talking about licking salt. Um, she adds, minus the tequila and the lemon. <laughs> oh, come on now. <laughs> is life worth living? <laughs> uh, but that, uh, that talk, as I say, that's uh, tomorrow night, 7.30, in the United Church in Kyneton. But isn't that the same venue that Stephen's talking in? 
See, in sure. See, I haven't church? got all the paperwork okay. in front of me. All I right. know I'm talking in kind tomorrow night, but and surely not in the same venue. Well, well maybe yeah. one's following the other. Maybe one's a short talk. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Anyhow, it's all too confusing. Someone will probably know. They can let uh, us know. Uh, it will be fine. It okay. is, it'll all work out. Yeah, I'm end. sure it'll all work out. <laughs> okay, we should go to, uh, to uh, our next caller, and we have uh, Sue in Narriwara North. Good morning, Sue. Oh, good morning. Um, I've got a couple of questions. Mm-hmm. I've got a lot of daylilies because they suit my climate, but they look a bit... The leaves are all... Horrible. Um, mm. when do you, can you cut them right back to the ground? You can. Uh, it does depend on the what? daylily a little bit because there are truly herbaceous varieties and there are sort of semi-evergreen varieties. Um, yeah. I would do them in midwinter for preference. Um, yep, yep, yeah, that's what, that was my next uh, question. But if from. you've got dead leaves through the plant, you can put your hands through them and sort of almost comb out the worst of the leaves. Yep. And that will tidy things up. But, yeah, certainly midwinter you could chop them all back to ground level and start them off again and it would just tidy the whole thing up. Yeah. Now, also, I've got some calamine grottas out in my front garden and mm. that wasn't cut back this year. It's probably too late, is it? It will be because the calamine will be in full active growth by now. Um, and, again, you could put your fingers through the clump. It's a grass, by the way, if anybody's wondering. Um, you could put your fingers through the clump and sort of comb out some of the worst of the dead stuff. But you can't yeah. really cut it back now because if you cut it back now, you're going to lose the, um, uh, yeah, the growth for the lovely flower heads that it produces later in the season. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Um, we didn't get round to that because I have sort of help. We didn't get it. Yeah. Now that weed that you were talking about earlier. Yes. Um, um, what's what is it called? Um, uh, Bur Bur Medic. So B U R R M E D I C. B U R R E. B U R R one word and then Medic M E D I C. And its botanical yeah. name is Medicago polymorpha. Can you spell that, please, Penny? M-E-D-I-C-A-G-O, Medicago, Medicago. Yep. Polymorpha, which just means usually different forms. So P-O-L-Y. Oh, okay. P-O-L-Y-M-O-R-P-H-A. Yeah, because I was um, mowing the nature strip, and uh, I've only got like a little bit on my nature strip, but I was on next doors doing this and there seems to be a lot of this weed there so I'm going to Google to see what it actually looks like. It's got little flower things on it, yeah. Yeah, um, little yellow flowers. Followed by yeah. burrs. Followed by yeah. burrs. It looks a little bit like a clover leaf. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'll Google and have a look. Yeah, but, well, uh, yeah, well, I think what we're trying to say is pull it out now before, yeah, it, before it starts before going it flowers to flowers and before it goes to seed, yep. Yeah, I've got three on my nature strip, but there's a lot more next door. Yeah, but as Steve said, <laughs> yeah. they, okay, tend to, they tend to start with a taproot that spreads out. So if you can find the centre of it, you'll actually get rid of most of them. Oh, okay then. Okay, thanks for that. No okay. worries. Thanks Bye. for your call. Bye. Bye. Uh, I will... Uh, uh, so Pam Britton has phoned in to say, Stephen, your talk is at 7.30, not no. 8 o'clock. No, is it? No, all right. That's fine. Okay. I mean, I've got it all written down at home. I just didn't think you to did. bring it with me. <laughs> um, so I will check my, my documentation when I get back. 
Okay. Yeah, okay. and it all will, it'll it does, all work. It does reach the point, doesn't it, when you do a lot of talks that you you know that it's on, but you don't you're not usually over the details until no. you actually have to think about yeah. it on that day. And I, look, have, I have to say, I've got written. this talk tomorrow night, which is fine, and we're working towards it. But I've got a niece's wedding in the garden next weekend. We've got our own garden open for the gardener scheme on the seventh and eighth. And then I've got the Plant Trust Christmas party in our garden on the 15th. So yep. I've got so many things going on at the moment. I'm just working day to day. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. easier. Yes. Oh, dear. But, yes, I promise I will be in Kyneton at the right place at the right time tomorrow. Yep. And uh, uh, hopefully to uh, a reasonably good crowd. Yeah, yeah. Would be nice. <laughs> yeah, great. Um, I will say, no, I won't. There aren't any lines free. Just yet, so there, I won't. They, there were for a few seconds. Yes, yeah, and then they suddenly filled up. They again. filled up again, so yeah. I won't. I won't mention those numbers again, just for a moment. Stephen, we might actually get to another plan. Yeah, all right. Uh, the next one along is this big tall thing I've brought into the studio, uh, which is the Chinese fringe tree, uh, Coinanthus retusa. Uh, there's two, well, there's several species, but there's only two species that are even vaguely available uh, commercially in this country. Uh, and one is retusa and the other one is virginicus, the North American fringe tree. Uh, they're hardy deciduous small trees with a sort of rounded head. Uh, there's a beautiful one of this actually growing in the Sydney Botanic Garden. So they're obviously very adaptable to a wide range of climatic zones. Uh, they're cold hardy. Um, and the thing about the fringe tree that I quite like, apart from the fact you don't see it around all that terribly often as a, as a tree, so it's not a common sort of thing around in people's gardens, is again the fact that it flowers in that late spring into early summer. Uh, so it sort of carries on the spring-like feel. And it has tiny little white fringy petaled flowers. And when a tree's in full bloom, I mean, the one I bought in's only got a few flowers on it, but when you've got a tree in full bloom, it's just a mist of little white flowers all over it. Um, they're followed by a blue-black berry, which is pleasant enough, I guess. In the autumn, its foliage goes a soft yellow before it sheds, uh, and it does get quite attractive, slightly roughened bark on the tree as well. Uh, it's drought-tolerant once it gets its roots down, seems to cope with the heat quite well, uh, certainly cold-hardy, and will grow to a tree of around about the five-metre mark, maybe a bit more, but it will take a long time to get to that sort of size. Uh, I've got one certainly in the nursery garden that's up about the four-and-a-half metres, and it's been in about 20 years. Yeah, I've got one in my garden. It was yeah. actually in my garden when mm. we bought the house. Yeah. And I just love it. Oh, it's the I, most it's a, beautiful thing that's in flower. Mine, mine actually, the whole tree sort of weeps. Oh, yeah. It has a really nice form to it. And the, looking at the flowers, my flowers are, are bigger. Yeah, this so one's maybe, a bit maybe young. Maybe mine's the American yeah, uh, no, it, it won't be the American one unless it's got leaves about five times bigger than this. Uh, the American one has really big leaves. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I uh, think it's... And the Chinese one has a smaller, yep. slightly more rounded leaf. So my gut feeling is it'll probably be this okay. one. Because um, the American one is a little more shrubby as well. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, it's just that this is a baby and its flower heads are quite yep. small at this point. And also yours would be out slightly earlier being slightly That's warmer. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. It's mine isn't late spring. Mm. Mine's actually early spring. Spring. Yeah. And it is such a joy when yeah. it comes out. You just suddenly realise that these flowers are there and then they develop and then they, they hang. It's like this sort of white rain yeah. all over the tree. Beautiful and tree. It is 
And I've never seen it in another garden. No, well, you I won't see it around very often because the, the problem with it is, although it's a hardy little tree, um, it's really woefully difficult to propagate. Okay. Um, mm. And um, so you don't see it around the nursery trade very often or its North American counterpart, uh, only because of the difficulty of propagating. Mm. Uh, so it fits my range quite nicely because it's yep. nice to have something that you won't find in Bunnings or any of the general garden centres. Um, but uh, it's never going to be a commonly planted tree. But that's part of its charm. I mean, you've yeah. got a tree in your yeah. garden that not many people have got. So yeah. uh, I think, you know, why fill your garden up with, you know, the common and ordinary mm. and general mm. stuff that everybody else has got? Why not have something a little bit different? Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I think the, the fringe trees are stunning. I remember seeing this particular species, the Chinese one in flower at Kew Botanic Gardens in England, and it must have been four or five metres tall and easily as wide, and, and they'd let it grow right down to ground level, mm. so it was actually mm. a giant shrub, uh, and it was just a cloud of white. It was just And it's a beautiful creamy white yeah. too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's a lovely, so, lovely plant. So, yeah, Coinanthus retusa, uh, the Chinese fringe tree. Uh, its North American counterpart is Virginicus, so it comes from Virginia or thereabouts. Uh, and there are a couple of subtropical species, but I don't think they've ever come into cultivation. Mm. There's apparently a beautiful pink one that I think comes from somewhere weird like the Philippines or something okay. like that, uh, which I'm sure I won't be able to grow up Mount Massive and even if somebody offered me one. Mm. Uh, uh, but it's a small genus and um, deserves to be uh, grown if you find one. So, you know, look out for them um, and certainly make space for one if you can. And uh, uh, I agree with Penny. It's just this wonderful, cloudy, beautiful yeah, white and thing. And look, it doesn't last for that long. No, the flowers but, but aren't there for a huge three, amount of time. Three or four weeks, yeah. usually. It depends a bit on whether mm. you get a really hot, if there's a really hot spell, then... The flowers don't yeah. like it, but yeah. um, yeah, it's a, it's just worth yeah. every year. I think, oh, it's a choice. It's it just really magical yeah. for those two or three yeah. weeks. Well, you're lucky and to have inherited three, one weeks. in your yeah, garden indeed. because it's certainly not yeah. something if you wanted to yeah. get, you'd you'd really have to search a bit. I mean, I've only got a handful of the. Chinese one at the moment. I've got plenty mm. of the North American one for some reason. Um, but um, uh, it's one of those plants I try and encourage more people to put in because it really mm. is a beautiful tree. Yep. So there you go. So the Chinese fringe tree, Coinanthus retusa. Fantastic. Um, while I've got the opportunity, um, I'm going to put it out there as well. We really uh, have an opening for a new phone person uh, yes. for the new year. Mm. But uh, I really need to get to know someone who um, would like to come in and do the phones. Uh, normally you're rostered on uh, once a month. Yeah, once a month is not a huge ask. No, yeah. just coming in, joining, joining the, the gardening show team, um, getting to meet us all, getting to see the plants in, yeah, in, <laughs> in the reality, flesh, yeah. in the flesh. Um, but, yes, we do have an opening coming up. Um, we will train you. You don't need to know anything. It's... Um, uh, I and can it's go not that, that complicated, is it really, it's to not, deal with the phone? It's not complicated at all. Mm. Um, no, exactly. But uh, if you think you, it's something you might be interested in, uh, we'd love to have you on board for next Especially year. Especially if somebody that doesn't live too far away, you know, it'd be nice and easy to get into the studio. Perhaps. Absolutely. Somebody Absolutely. living around this part of town. Yep. Mind you, some of our some of our phone volunteers travel quite away mm. and they're more so than happy some, to so do it. some of the people who sit on the panel. Oh, yeah. They <laughs> do. They do indeed. <laughs> but. But uh, if, you, if you think you'd be interested in, uh, in volunteering to do the phones uh, once a month, 
we'd love to uh, to hear from you. Um, you can uh, give uh, either Susie or Emma uh, a call and they will take down your details and I will get back to you and have a chat to you um, after the show. So ring in on either 94190155 or 94198377. Have a chat to either Emma or Susie. Uh, let them have your, your name, your phone number, and uh, I will get back to you after the program. But uh, Yeah, join our happy yeah. little crew. Yeah, well, well, one of our volunteers, sadly, she's been doing it for 10 years. We, we, this is the thing, we keep our volunteers. They yeah. all, mm-hmm. They're very happy to come in and be part of, of <laughs> the show, and, and they, they have a lot of fun, I'm sure, with us. Um, but, yeah, after 10 years, I think she's decided that she's done her bit and it's time to... To uh, maybe be able to sleep in on a Sunday morning, and I can. Oh yes, I remember. I that. can understand. Yeah, well, funny that I can almost yes. don't think I can quite. But yeah, anyway, yeah, but uh, but yeah. So uh, so starting in the new year, which means you won't actually be starting till February yeah, in we the don't roster. Work through January. No, yeah. but but if if you're available um, before we stop at Christmas time, I would might maybe bring you in to do the training before Christmas. Then you can just. Uh, refresh your skills in February before you start up uh, as part of the team. But yeah, do give us a call either either to uh, Susie or to Emma. You can ask them what it's like because they're doing it. Nine four one nine zero one double five or nine four one nine eight three double seven. And and Pam, we've got a, <clears throat> a few lines free if anyone still wants to call in for a copy of the book. Absolutely. Yeah. So or ask uh, us a question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah, if you if you were trying to get through before and couldn't, and you'd love to get a copy of this book for ten dollars, um, I'm sure you will really find it fascinating and uh, you will also be supporting the 3CR Gardening Show and Radio 3CR as well. So the numbers 94190155 or 94198377. Okay, Stephen, All we've right. one got some plants one. we haven't covered. All right. Well, this one is a woodland plant and anybody who's ever grown Solomon Seal it looks like that. Yeah, I was going to say it looks like Solomon too. Yeah. It does, except yeah. the leaves are shinier. Yeah, it's got a yep. much shinier, glossier, darker green foliage than Solomon seal, but it has the same sort of slightly arching branch arrangement. It gets the little white bells with sort of green markings in it. And it's a genus called Dysporopsis. And it is in the sort of Solomon seal group, obviously. But it's basically an evergreen woodland perennial, which makes it rather useful. And when I say it's basically evergreen, the old stems tend to start dying off and looking scruffy as the new ones come up. So, in fact, the best way to deal with this plant is in late winter, just before the new stems come up out of the ground, is to cut all of last year's stems down and allow room for all the new ones to come up. Uh, It only grows to about 30, 35 centimetres tall. Uh, It is a slowly moving rhizominous um, root system type plant, so it will slowly make a a spreading clump. It doesn't require madly damp conditions, but it doesn't want to just dry right out. So if you're looking for something, because a lot of the woodland things that you might be interested in growing tend to be quite ephemeral. They come up, do their thing and disappear again. And so you end up with lots of bare patches. Uh, So something that's a basic evergreen woodland is a very useful plant because you've got it there pretty well all year round, um, making some impact in the garden. And so this is Dysporopsis pernii. There's a, a range of species 
species. In fact, there's a whole group of genera. There's Dysporums, Dysporopsises, the Polygonatums, which are the true Solomon seals, um, uh, Streptopus. There's there's a whole range of them, um, um, and they can become an obsession because they're all elegant and attractive plants, and they vary from tiny little things that only grow a few centimetres tall up to some giants that can get to a couple of metres tall. Mm. Uh, and they all have that sort of Solomon sealish look about them. Uh, most of them are white flowered, although there are mauves and, and orangey flowered ones in the group as well. Uh, Many of them get quite attractive berries after the flowers. Some are red. In the case of this one, it's black. Um, and, yeah, I just think they're charming plants. They make good pot plants, and you can divide them regularly and get more. Um, and sort of a character of this particular one that's not too obvious unless you look closely, it also has really pretty burgundy spots on the stems. So it's not perhaps a major feature of the plant, but it just adds a little bit of interest to the plant uh, when, when your eye catches it and you notice the, the coloured stems. So Dysporopsis pernii. Um, I've got a feeling I imported this one donkey's years ago from America. Um, and I think it's a really, really pretty plant. So Solomon seal, but sort of evergreen. So there you go. So they're the plants I bought along and that were on the uh, Facebook page for people to have a look at. Fantastic. Okay, uh, if you'd like to ask a gardening question, we are running through until 9.15, so we've got uh, a few minutes there um, if you want to ring in and ask a gardening question. Uh, again, that number, 94190155, if you're wanting to speak to Stephen or Penny uh, while they're in the studio this morning. Um, Penny, you've been so busy... <laughs> Yes, <laughs> just a bit. <laughs> I think it's, it's that time of year again, isn't it? It is. Look, I, at the moment, what I'm trying to do is get my tomatoes planted. So I yes. have, <laughs> I have seedlings. So I'm not, I'm not starting from seed at this time of year. But really, with our, um, again, with our changing climate, because we're not sure what's going to happen, yeah. I, I got a couple in really early, yeah. which are doing okay, but not, not really They're taking not off out. because mm. it's been so cold. But if we'd had an early warm spring, then they yeah, would have they, been doing yeah, really be well. Mm. So I have no problem putting tomatoes in right up until December, as long as it's seedlings. I wouldn't mm. plant seeds yeah, in December. Yeah, that's getting a bit late, yes. Um, but I think that, that um, it's worth experimenting, and particularly with some of the cooler climate tomatoes, um, which... Like the Burnley tomatoes, they mm. they are, they cope quite well with coolness, and that means that they're good for early planting, but they're also good for late planting because they will keep producing into cooler into weather. Into the cooler weather, yeah, yeah. Um, so so things like that are worth are worth doing as well. So yeah, well, I'm um, certainly getting stuck into my planting of my summer. Yep. Veggies. The sweet corn went in the other day. I've planted a few tomatoes. I've put in the basil. Uh, I've put in climbing beans and I've put in bush beans. So that's all happened in the last week or so. Yep. Uh, and I've got one more bed to clean. My garlic is starting to fall over, so it'll be ready to whip out and tie up and yep. what have you any minute. Depending on when you planted it, yes, yeah. you should be looking at your garlic. I got mine in really late again. <laughs> so mine. <laughs> Mine probably won't be ready till January. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, mine. Well, I always figure that once it's fallen over, it's yeah, getting it's close. not going to keep growing. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but not all garlics fall over. Yeah. So it depends which group it belongs to. That tends to be the turbans that fall yeah. over more, and then they may fall over as the result of a weather event. Yeah. So if you get 
a severe cold or a heavy fall of rain or an intensely hot day, that can cause yeah. them to fall over Well, mine, mine are starting to brown off on the ends of the leaves okay. as well and all that sort of stuff. And it's that, that one I got that we've spoken about before. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> I've forgotten the name of it again. The French one with the reddish skin, the... Rue, French. Uh, Rose Duval. Rose Duval. Yeah. Yes. So it's a, that's a silver skin. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, so it doesn't produce escape. So mm. sometimes you can tell when to harvest a garlic depending oh, on yeah. what the scape's doing. Mm. Um, so it would, it's what we call a soft neck. And, um, yeah, they, they can be, you can plant those a bit later. And the silver mm. skins are one of the ones that they've actually been trialling, um, along with the, um, creoles of, yeah. of planting in spring. Oh, yeah. So putting, putting garlic in, 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 um, sort of late, well, late August, very mm. early September. And I, I planted some of those this year, and it's going to be really interesting to see how, yeah. how they go because you tend to get a crop more quickly. Well, it, garlic is a long-term crop, isn't mm. it? It takes it can ages. Be eight in the, yeah, yeah, it can take ages in, in the ground. Regions. Um, yeah. uh, but last year I had enormous bulbs on my Great. garlic. I haven't dug one up yet to have a look and see what they're yeah. doing this year, but they're looking good, so yeah. I'm assuming that it's got decent sized bulbs underneath it um, and it seems to perform very well for me that yeah. particular one. Yeah, and look um, garlic adapts to mm. the soil and the climate, mm. so if you have a garlic that doesn't do so well in the first year, it's often worth first collecting, you know, keeping some of the cloves and replanting it mm. Because over two or three years, it will actually adapt and start doing really well in your in that climate. Well, I always reuse the same yep. garlic every year, yep. so mm. I always hold back a few. So I always have a bed of garlic. I get about 100 bulbs that more than yep. last me for the year, and I can also be generous to a few people. Uh, and it also gives me um, uh, my stock for planting out again yep. the following year. And you always keep your best garlic oh, yes. for planting. Yeah, I don't give so, away my best garlic no, either. You re- you pl- no, but you plant your best bulbs yeah. because mm. otherwise if you plant your ratty bulbs, that's what you're going to end up with. Yeah. You're going to end up with more ratty bulbs. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, always no, I always keep some of the big fat ones. Save your best yeah. and eat the rest. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I'll be whipping the garlic out any moment now so that I can relieve the bed of the garlic so I can you get can something else. can put other things in. Yes. 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 So sometimes you've just got to leap in at a, a moment that, yes, if I get that out now, I could get sweet corn in or I could plant some tomatoes or I could do yeah. this or I could do that. Yeah. So even though I've got a comparatively large vegetable garden, sometimes you've got to sort of whip something out so that you can make space for the next crop that you might have left for a little longer for whatever reason. But, you know, if it's out, you've got the space. Mm. And so that's mm. what I'm working on. Mm. And thanks to Penny, I've got some tomatoes to take home to say that I'll, I'll have to make room for in some, some bed somewhere. Uh, yeah, the well, they're, they're, good, they're good for following garlic. Yeah. So if you decide to harvest your garlic, you can put them in there. Well, that's probably what I will do. Mm. In fact. You'll need to add a bit more nutrient before yeah. you do. But yeah. Oh, well, I've got some bags of duck poo. That sounds perfect. Yeah, so not too much. <laughs> no, no I won't overdo it. Is it, it, it really fresh? No, uh, no, it's been piled up for a while. Okay, uh, that'll so be fine. So it should be fine. Uh, I put some on the asparagus at the beginning of the year, and it's gone nuts. It's yeah. loved it. Uh, Just be a bit careful because you'll get masses of leaf growth yeah. and no flowers if you put too much duck poo on. Oh yes, yeah. And with tomatoes, that's not a good look. No, is it? no, no. <laughs> uh, dear. Add some potash. All right. Have we got somebody come in? It looks like there's a call. Yes, yes, and how timely. Uh, we're going to uh, Diane. Good morning, Diane. Good morning. Oh, good morning, yes. I was just wondering if the lady might, wouldn't mind repeating the cool climate name of the tomato. 
Was it Burnley? Oh, yeah, look, there's Burnley Bounty and Burnley, I'm going to forget the other one, but there's three different Burnleys. Is there a Burnley gem or something? Yeah, um, one of them's a, a smaller growing one, so mm. a bush tomato. Um, but they were all developed actually in Burnley, mm. in, in oh. Victoria. Um, <laughs> okay. So that's why they have that name. So that's a cool climate one. There's also... Uh, Olomovic is another one that is a mm. is a cool climate one, and there's one that starts with K that my brain is not going to produce <laughs> at the moment. But yeah, look, and I'm assuming a, you're not meaning KY. No, no, no. <laughs> um, Thank you. Yeah, so look, those are those are the ones that I'd be looking around for if you can. If you I can think get I them. saw one of the Burnleys uh, right. on in one of the garden centres the other day yeah. in, in tubes for sale yeah. as individual plants. Yeah. So shouldn't yeah. be too hard to get. No, no. So they're good. Oh. Okay, Uh, that number, if you do want to ask a question, uh, you've got about 10 minutes to jump on the phones, 94190155 to speak to Penny or Stephen, or if you'd like to have a a quick chat to uh, Susie on the outside line, 94198377. So, Stephen, tell listeners a little bit more Mm. about... And we haven't had much chance to oh, talk no, about your trip and yeah. some of the highlights, some of the gardens you saw. All right. Well, there there are two, in Pennsylvania there are two Dupont gardens, so built by the very very wealthy chemical company family, the Duponts. Um, one is Longwood, which is. <laughs> High-end horticulture beyond belief. There's not a bent leaf. There's not a bug-eaten leaf. There's not a. Everything is beyond belief and in fact it was exhausting the garden was just so incredibly high-end horticulture okay. um, they had espaliered and tear grown uh, or teared grown chrysanthemums that have been trained out over frames oh. they had uh, uh, a water lily pond full of giant amazonian water lilies in the conservatory uh, the array of plant material, the conservatories are actually a series of glass houses, one after the other with linking passages and things. Oh, okay. And it covers acres. Wow. And so just wandering through the conservatories could take you most of the day. But it's on about 200 acres. Gosh. Uh, they've got a water garden with fountain jets that are choreographed to music. And I actually put something up on Facebook to have Facebook pull it down because apparently Sony owned the music that I'd <gasps> taped on my little video thing that I'd done. Oh, I, didn't, no. I didn't know about things like that. No. I, mean, well, I was completely innocent of that sort of thing. Uh, so I thought, oh, this will be fun. So I posted this thing of all the water jets going all over the place and doing all sorts of interesting things to whatever the music was. I don't even remember what it was. Um, and Facebook pulled it down, but there you go. Um, You've so, been blacklisted. <laughs> oh, yes, a bit sad. Uh, so Longwood was definitely worthwhile, but a lesser-known DuPont garden that was done by one of the other members of the family uh, is a place called Winterthur. And Winterthur is a house of only 75 rooms. Uh, uh, and the particular branch of the DuPont family were collecting antiques and paintings and furniture and stuff. And they eventually opened the house up as a museum, but they were still living in it. And then there was some tax advantage if you had this museum, but you didn't live in it. So you had to move out if it was going to get the tax advantages. So they built a huge house virtually next door to live in so that they'd get the tax benefits of opening the other house as a museum. Right. Uh, And Winterthur is, again, on vast acreage, but it's a bit more relaxed. It's got a woodland area with fabulous old trees, um, tulip trees and European um, American beaches and all that sort of stuff. Uh, It's got a 
Kainitum. It's got all sorts of other things around it. Both well worthwhile visiting. But I have to say, one of the highlights of the trip for me was to go to Falling Water, uh, the Frank Lloyd Wright architecture. Did it live up to expectations? Look, it did. Uh, I have to say, I was a bit... Um, nervous about going there. I thought, oh, yeah, this place, you know, I've seen images of it so often. Yeah, that's right. You know, with the sort of layers of concrete sort of uh, of the house with the stone and all that sort of thing all hanging out over this waterfall uh, that I thought, you know, it's bound to disappoint. But it actually didn't. It was it was truly impressive. So that was really good. Uh, so we really enjoyed that. Um, there's a fantastic botanic garden in Pittsburgh, uh, which we really enjoyed. Um, and, of course, we went there for Craig's painting that was being um, exhibited at the Hunt Institute of Botanic Documentation, which is part of the Carnegie Mellon uh, University in Pittsburgh. Um, and that was fun. Uh, it was a five-day conference and, and workshops and all sorts of things going on. And there were 41 paintings exhibited uh, from 500 and something that were entered from worldwide. Three Australians had works in, uh, okay. one from Mel- another one from Melbourne and somebody from Sydney, um, and they were both there. Uh, so all three Australians were represented, which good. was good. Uh, but there were people from Turkey and Brazil and Japan and Korea and... England and all over the world wow. uh, with their paintings. Yep. Um, and so we made lots of great contacts, which was really fabulous. I think there's trips to Turkey and Japan and Brazil and things <laughs> potentially coming up. You're going to be busy. Yeah, we will be busy. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, look, we did the touristy stuff. We spent a few days in New York and we walked through Central Park and we went to the Statue of Liberty and we went to the opera at the Met. Uh, we, you know, we went to the Metropolitan Museum. We went to the Frick Museum. I mean, we in four days we we did everything we could possibly do. We went to the High Line, oh, which was fabulous. Was I mean, it, it was late in the season, so a lot of stuff was sort of collapsing and yeah. not looking at its best. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what an amazing landscape! Of, and for people who don't know the High Line, it's actually a raised um, railway line that had been abandoned for years, and they decided to build a landscape on it. Wow! So you walk along this railway line through all these bushes and herbs and grasses and things with all these high-rise buildings sort of all around you, you know, so you can virtually look into somebody's kitchen as you're wandering along. Um, and it goes for, I think, a couple of kilometres. Uh, and it's well-loved by New Yorkers, and, and visitors in their numbers go to walk the High Line. And it was fantastic, so we enjoyed that. And we went walking in the forests in the autumn in Pennsylvania. Right, you were wondering if you were going to see any, any yeah, autumn foliage. it foliage. was probably past its very best, yep. but there were still lots of maples and tulip trees and beaches and things all turning wonderful colours. Yep. Uh, and so we did a 12-mile walk in the Allegheny National Park, uh, which was a lovely sort of circuit day walk, which we thoroughly enjoyed, walking through forests full of kelmias, the American mountain laurel, which is just an amazing shrub. I mean, it wasn't in flower, but to see great thickets of it uh, was just fabulous and we also walked in the Pocono Mountains um, uh, which was fabulous uh, met a lovely lady in the Poconos who's um, who's doing English cottage gardening in the Pocono Mountains in, in Pennsylvania she's actually an expat um, uh, English lady who was actually a principal of a primary school in North America and she started gardening when she retired Right. She had never gardened. Good heavens. And she's got this garden going. She Facebooks and she uh, blogs and she does all sorts of things about her garden. She has workshops in the garden. Uh, she's writing a book. Uh, and um, 
she and I had a lovely time. So she took Craig and I to see a, a, a local nursery so we could sort of look at, you know, how the nursery industry works there. Uh, we had a couple of lovely meals out. And, yeah, so we had a really good time. And then we drove our hire car back to the airport and came home. So three weeks, we drove right round Pennsylvania, basically, and through the middle a couple of times. Um, and... Um, yeah, it, you know, we went through the Amish country with the yes. lovely farmland and all that, which is very attractive. Went to Gettysburg, okay. uh, which is a beautiful town. Um, I mean, I'm not really into Civil War history and no. all that sort of stuff, but Gettysburg itself was a really pretty place. So, yeah, Pennsylvania probably wasn't high on my list of places to go, uh, but because of the fact we had to go there because of Craig's painting... Um, we decided we'd see what it had to offer, and it was really interesting. So mm. thoroughly enjoyed it. Fantastic. And, uh, and look, there's good parts and bad parts about America. I mean, um, we all know what the political situation's like over there at the moment, uh, and it's only going to get worse, I think, uh, until it gets better. Um, and uh, but Americans, as a, 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 a people, are so gracious, so friendly, so helpful. You know, they can't do enough for you. Um, so if you get into some sort of bind or whatever, you can always find somebody that you can just ask on the street and they will help you. Uh, so they're a very lovely people, really. Mm. Um, just not so sure about some of the politics, but anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so we had three good weeks in Pennsylvania. So there Excellent. you go. And, uh, and I would certainly recommend it. It was definitely worthwhile. And the few days in New York were great fun because we'd never been to New York. So we did all the tourist stuff. Um, went to Times Square at night and stood there with all the lights flashing. Is it overwhelming, New York? It wasn't as overwhelming as I was expecting, actually. I was sort of expecting to be completely towered I think of Gotham City. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I do a bit that way myself. But I have to say it was a fairly manageable city. We, you know, got around fairly easily, although Craig has a great sense of direction, which helps no end, because I could walk out of a shop and turn left when I should go right without thinking. So I get lost all the time. I always do that in the northern hemisphere. Yeah, yeah. So Because <laughs> yeah, I'm so, used to following the sun. You yeah, know? yeah. So, you know, I, I would get lost all the time, but Craig is, is quite good at those things. So we, we quickly got used to the underground and, and we sort of zoomed around and, and saw as much as we could. Okay. Uh, and we did actually stay in a spot that was quite convenient because it wasn't that far to walk to the Met to do the opera. We could walk to Times Square. Um, we could walk only five minutes away from Central Park. Uh, so we actually had a hotel that was really quite good. It was very central for what we excellent, wanted. Excellent, excellent. Uh, so we did a lot of walking while we were in New York. Um, and it's fine to walk around. Oh, it's good. the best way of seeing anything. Oh, of course it is. Yes. Of course it is. So, yes, yeah, so we quite enjoyed that. And I don't mind driving over there. So I was quite happy to get in the hire car and go. Mm. Uh, just getting your head around four-way stop signs and uh, and being able to turn right. So <laughs> uh, w- when I got that in my head, uh, it was fine. Actually, the most mind-altering thing is if you're doing a left-hand turn because you've got to go out across traffic and then mm. turn left. Uh, and if you're doing that over multiple lanes... Mm. And you have to sort of think that through a bit. <laughs> um, but, yes. yeah. but no, look, it was fine. It was good fun. So, yeah, so um, I'm happy to be home, though. Uh, and we're off to France next year for ASA again. Not and, just France. Yeah, well, Chile is supposed Chile. to be on the, on the list as well for next October. And the French trip, if anybody's interested, is Normandy and Brittany. And I think there's still two rooms available. Oh, That's jump it. in quick. So if you did want to do it, don't let... The grass yep. grow. Yep. Uh, it's a fantastic trip. Uh, Normandy is the most beautiful part of France. So, yeah, 
yeah, come and join us if you want to come to Normandy. You've got a very small window of opportunity to join that one. Excellent. Penny, are you able to quickly lay your hands on the um, Herb Society breakup details? Uh, yes, I can. I just took it off my iPad, <laughs> but, I'll, but I'll find it again. Sorry, yeah. sorry. But it's on the 5th of December, Yes. and at 6 o'clock they're meeting in the, um, in the gardens where the, where the table is. Um, near the herb garden to have supper and then the actual talk starts at you need to get there 7.15 for 7.30 and this is all at Burnley Horticultural College room 10 in the main building and it's Chris Williamson who is doing the talk and he's talking about using indigenous plants for um, producing crops effectively so not just home necessarily home gardening but you know how in Australia we should be growing indigenous plants rather than destroying our soils and things by trying to grow plants that mm. were never suited to our soils like cotton and rice yeah mm. yes, exactly <coughs> sorry don't be sorry so so I think I th- that use so much water so um, I know yeah so I think that could be a really interesting talk so that's on the 5th of December at Burnley Horticultural College Fantastic. and if you just want to go for the for the talk that it's 7.15 for 7.30. Okay. Excellent. Right. We've run out of time and for we'll, yet another I'll week. I'll see you all in a fortnight. You so, will. Yeah. You will. Um, yes. Okay. Um, a big thank you to everyone. We will, of course, uh, be back again next week. A huge thank you to uh, Susie and Emma who've been handling lots of phone calls Ooh. this morning. Um, it's been great. Thank you to everybody. Uh, but as I said, we will be back uh, next week. So until then... Bye for now.